Now, should I, what do you think? Should I do something psychoanalytical for you or should I do something uh, more kind of like conspiracy theory-esque as the opening question? <laughs> whatever. So psychoanalytical, I really mean like you're going to psychoanalyze me a little bit as oh. the question. Whatever, whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm not good at psychoanalysis because I barely have a personality. I just have memory space. So well, Ryan, Brian, Brian, I hope, Brian, I hope you're enjoying that. this. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, can we publish that? Um, <laughs> as, as the opening to like, so I'll go with it with my question. It's, okay. um, why am I nervous about this conversation? Why are you nervous? I, I, I don't know because I, I have zero nervousness. I have zero nervousness, but I have zero nervousness about Elon Musk. Maybe, maybe it's an interest in Silicon Valley I don't share, or maybe it's a a desire to see him succeed. And we're going to jinx it by talking about the success that he's had so far. I'm not sure. Oh, that's interesting too. Huh? Yeah. Well, what about how, how's this for fun? And we'll lean conspiracy then a little bit like, what if he is the end times actual bona fide UN uniting man of lawlessness? So he's like listening right now. And right. Yeah, as obviously. the author of the end times, you know, you and I are kind of on a limb here. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that, that would be, that would be fine if he were a Christian of any kind, he never has been. So I'm not too worried about that part. And since um, you just kind of did a show about that, can you maybe do a brief synopsis? <laughs> you you need the New Testament's predictions about who will rise up and and put himself in the place of Christ to be a Christian, to be in the temple of God, calling himself God. And Musk is not there. Musk, in some ways, is a very standard Silicon Valley person in his, let's say, metaphysics or his religion such as it is in that it's at times vaguely transhumanist but is mostly confined to a desire to achieve things through science and engineering and that isn't absent a religious commitment but it's not even explicit usually in his own thinking and talking about these things let alone explicit enough for him to be influencing churches or something, which is where you need an antichrist, capital A or small a to come from. Yeah, I like that. So he's a little more in the great man mold of historical so-called scare quotes antichrist. That is not really a good use of that term, biblically speaking, yeah. but you know, he's Napoleonic in his ambitions, it would seem. Uh, but let me, again, I, I want to go into all this because I find him fascinating. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why would I then be nervous about this conversation? I think because I'm a product of Generation X, honestly. And so is he. And somewhere in this, I have a deep tie to him kind of as a brother because I don't have one. I don't have a brother. But this guy, this guy grew up with all the same brainwashing I did. And in the same kind of class system I did. And then he's he's now elite beyond world standard. And I can hear him at times speak to my childhood in incredible ways, honestly. Where it's like, man, if he means that, if he means that, I get this guy. And, and that makes him, again, fascinating. And it shows how something about us Gen Xers 
who are not boomers and we're not boomers light, probably the most <laughs> abused generation in the history of the world to say, you know, uh, next to the one that's happening right now under our feet, because we don't have any power. We don't have any say. We've never been given a chance to speak. Here's this guy. He's got a chance to speak. And what he's doing, he's doing what I do. If I had a bajillion dollars, he's having fun, man. He's just doing whatever he wants to do. And he seems to care. There's a, there's a conviction in the man. He's not licentiously just having hedonism till he dies time with his money. Uh, he's doing something more than that. And so there's a virtute about him that is compelling. And I think it is compelling not only that it exists, but that he is a Generation X man who is still achieving this in spite of his waffling on what I'd call principal natural things, you know, that, that I think we all agree on. And and like that, he nonetheless, he stands among us as someone who's, and then he presents himself even, he's selling himself as one who fights the system, which then gets into the whole double game, fourth level chess. It's all a fake. Maybe he's a machine, you know, whatever, you know, I find all of it hilarious as the greatest myth next to Donald Trump going on right now. Well, Don Donald Trump is, you know, is my sole piece of evidence besides certain private individuals I know that when people are just condemning all boomers, I'm like, okay, but <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what is it about? What is it about your childhood that he's, that he's reminding you of? Yeah. Direct question. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Love for America. Really? If I cut through it all, he keeps talking about, how free speech is the foundation of Western law. And I mean, I see freedom of religion as being the same thing, effectively, that your language is your religion. So when he says that, and no one else is saying that right now, and then I'm like, oh, and he's Gen X, and he named the thing X. Like, oh, look, he's trying to make a play for power right now, and he actually cares about free speech. Now, that could all be a, a Chinese spy game. And again, he's a machine doing this and it's all TikTok taking over. Yeah, maybe. Know, whatever, you know. Right. So when I think about these things, they're always just sort of imaginary tales. But then, you know, and I, I stopped, you know, going to Twitter. I'm publishing a lot. I'm not I'm not looking at it because I got tired of looking at Elon. I mean, he's just putting himself everywhere. And I, I would do that too if I was trying to take over the world with the new app. <laughs> you know, I'd, I'd make myself look like El Presidente, good man, yeah. right? That, that's what I would do for yeah. the people, right? And so, so I see all that too. And he could be the greatest fascist dictator ever was. That's why I find it fascinating. He speaks to my nostalgia about America. The '80s appeared to be very good, and some of that very good was America means this. We all agree about this freedom. And freedom means you get a chance and freedom means no one can tell you, you can't say at least that, right? You, you can always say, and they drilled that into us with all the brainwashing tools they had yeah. along with, you know, the godless sexual ethic that they brought down on us. But I still want to be a, an American for goodness sakes, for Jesus yeah. sakes, really <laughs> for the, for the kingdom of God's sake, because of some of the things that are built into the law from Christendom. Uh, because of the way the founding fathers, even where they were wretched pagans, were like, yeah, Jesus made sense. You should follow that guy. Like, like you know, Ben Ben Franklin and all. And and so, like, there's something about America that the 80s got very right. And I grew up in a classroom with, we had 24 boys in our Lutheran school in Trinity, Portland, Oregon. 24 plus boys and like seven, eight girls. And those boys were half white, half black. And no one even thought twice about it. I didn't. I liked all those kids. I think they used different product. Honestly, we all 
smell different and it's just grooming and oil. And frankly, I think they know what they're doing and we don't. We're like buying the macro brand garbage that they're selling from the 50s still. Anyway, I just, this is my childhood memory. I played football with these guys, played basketball with these guys. I went to these guys' houses, Nintendo and sleepovers. No one thought twice about, well, we're, in fact, one of the coolest kids in class, Rocco. I know his last name. I won't, I won't, nor from here, but or whatever. I won't, I won't dox him here. Rocco, though, Rakeem was his real name. Black dad, white mom. Everyone's like, wow, Rocco's cool. Like, so where's the racism in the 80s? It, it wasn't in my school. It wasn't in my house. It wasn't in my neighborhood. And so there's something about all of that that when Musk says, you know, nostalgia 80s, Gen X, we kind of, there's truth here. You can smell it. It's playing to us. Whether that is for good or for evil, I don't know. And that's why I'm looking forward to hearing your opinion. I think I, I think the free speech thing is kind of, I mean, it's sort of strange that any of us has to feel defensive about it because- Musk is not American born in case there's a listener that doesn't know that, but where he does come from, which we'll talk about shortly, is another place that like anywhere else governed by the British will prioritize the notion of free speech or freedom of speech, a certain uh, what the Bible is going to call using a word from the Athenian tradition, boldness, that I may be bold to speak. And that wasn't really controversial until a decade or 15 years ago in the United States. And I think the fact that we have to defend it at all is one of the chief indicators of the past to which we've come, that if that's something that we have to defend, the whole system, and system is probably the wrong word, the the whole fabric of the public life that we have is in very severe jeopardy because the capacity to say what you actually think without being punished for it is at the heart of the idea of being free or possessing liberty of any kind. That if you don't have that freedom, the freedoms that you do enjoy are more like, you know, FDR's freedoms, which are the freedoms that slaves have. Slaves are free from want because the master cares for them. Right. The freedom that has been more often valued in the Anglo Saxon world, maybe let's say, right, Britain and her daughters, is not a freedom to be taken care of, but a freedom to take care of oneself. And therefore, the freedom to speak in a way and to behave in such a way that your thinking and your doing are not completely governed by what other people think and certainly not by what your masters think. And Musk feels like a throwback in that way. Not just to the 80s, which, you know, full disclosure, I don't remember. I, I think I have a memory that might be from 1989, but I'm not. It could be 1990. It's a good year. <laughs> so they were, I, you know, it was fine. It was good. It's a memory of writing. Macaroni and cheese. I didn't know it was killing me yet. And man, did it taste good. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> yeah so you know so there's a certain you know ignorance is bliss is good but it's, yeah well childhood childhood memory ought to be good i mean yeah. can i just say that are yeah, we supposed right. to even though like you want to go deep and dark let's talk about my childhood so the fact that i can look back on the 80s with some sort of like well it wasn't that bad like i, I think it's a testimony to the power of, of childhood frankly you know jesus creating us with a heart that is got a capacity for for great forgiveness 
for great hope. And, you know, no matter what the story or the darkness is that's around it. So, you know, build on that. Right. Yeah. And Musk has a childhood that in some ways is extremely unfortunate. And part of the reason that we're talking about him is because there's a new biography out by Walter Isaacson, who is a biographer before now of Ben Franklin and Steve Jobs. And he has very Silicon Valley interests that that we'll probably talk about later. But Musk's childhood is growing up in Pretoria, South Africa, as the child of two people who whose families didn't grow up in South Africa. So his his parents are fairly normal for their time and place in being from families that came to South Africa, if you can believe it or not, for opportunity from England and Canada, respectively. And when they came there, they were looking for something that would allow them in a country that was even more wide open than the places they came from, the prairie provinces of Canada and southern England, to do and to be what they wanted to do and to be. And I think that that's key, although if you read the book, you'll find that Isaacson really plays up the fact that Musk's dad was sort of crazy and Musk doesn't talk to him at all. Whereas the mother followed the two, the two boys, Musk and his, and his brother Kimball to the to first Canada and then, and then the United States when they were in college and she is in contact with the family and the father is not. And the father was loud and, you know, would, would cut Musk down and tell him how worthless he was. So there's not an, an unmitigated sunshine to his childhood something that is there. And this is something, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't feel like I was surveilled growing up, but you know, this is, this is something that your generation makes much of is how, how free they were as children, just left alone to do whatever they wanted. I don't know if that was true for everybody, but it was, it was definitely true for Musk and what he's free to do is to basically try anything in school or out of school and either succeed or fail. And he's always been like that. One other thing that I think is really interesting about his childhood is that although he's in a school system to go all the way back to whenever the kid prison episodes were, was that 2020, maybe 2021? Oh. I can't remember. It was a long time <laughs> ago. Is, baby. Yeah. He's, he's in gotta, school. We should re-roll those. Note to <laughs> selves. Re-roll <laughs> right. those. It, he's in school, but he's not of school. So he performs extremely well. He's always been very bright, but he mostly devotes his time whenever he can get it in school and certainly outside of school to reading whatever he wants, which is mostly in the realm of, and I think this is pretty important, science fiction. So he's very good concretely at science and math and always has been to the degree where all of these people around him, at least, are diagnosing him with Asperger's now. Of course, that didn't happen when he was growing up. He wasn't diagnosed with anything. But he's always been someone who connected those technical abilities, which he's going to have in spades. And, and, and I think that's going to be something a little bit unique about him as a person, as a, you could say, as a businessman, is that generally he knows concretely how his rockets are flying or how you know the dual motors on a model three work or whatever it, he it's he's not just like a financier 
but he, so to just to just yeah. reference a, a yeah. past concept, he has skin in the game, and and so it matters. And and when he's got skin in the game, he's got his skin in the game. Right, that's yeah. it right there. But I think I think what he's always done, and and it's interesting. He he doesn't grow up in America, but it's like he's ready to be an American, almost, I, I would say an American of an older kind. And this is something I, I want to talk about later is why someone who isn't actually American, I mean, and you can hear it when he talks, right? No matter how long he's been here, he still has these sort of <laughs> odd South African intonations and and vowels sometimes. Why why is he reminding you of America, or why why does he want to build things in America? Well, he's uh, yeah, he is building an app in which he presents himself as the face defending America, right? Because that's the game of what uh, celebrity persuasion influence that that it travels with wealth, but you know money buys you influence, and so at a certain point. How do you buy more influence? You sell yourself. That's how. And he, how would he do? He bought the most potent platform there is. I mean, once upon a time, there was a woman who bought a newspaper. I think it's called the Washington Post, right? So that she could do what she wanted with it and make the world what she wanted. And it had a pretty big effect. Yeah, He's doing that. That's what he's doing. And it's genius. Like on every level, he knows what he's doing. I, I Everything he does is so calculated. It blows me away. Again, he can't be running his own Twitter feed. He has to be running his own Twitter feed. He's got AI working for him, clearly. I mean, and guys who are working AI for him, right? He has, he has human intelligence, working artificial intelligence for him, and he knows what he's doing. It's, it's fascinating. And, and to, again, just hear where you came from and, and I, I, in all that you just said, you know what, why do I have an affination for Elon Musk? Well, my guess would be sons of verbally abusive fathers understand each other when they talk. I say there's something going on there. That's a thing. That's a real thing. I see that. I see that in how he behaves and what he's trying to be. He's trying to stand up for mom still, really. Yeah. So please carry on. It it's probably also important that his that his family is both in a country that is in political turmoil and some degree of economic misfortune, but he is not of a long-standing community like the Afrikaners where he would be comfortable maybe just staying. So there's a there's a precariousness that then results in his wanting to pursue things in the same way that the science fiction fires his imagination for space travel or new engineering feats. There's a way in which his own the precariousness of his life allows him to to be pushed and that's why, I mean, yes, he's South African. I mean, he's an American citizen now. He's South African in origin. That really turns out to look more like an older kind of American. Because when he first comes to Canada, because he can get a Canadian passport through his mother's birth, and then comes to the United States and studies at the, the Wharton School at Penn, where he studies both business and engineering at the same time, there's there's a there's a consistent quality about him that doesn't resemble what I would call the predominant careerism of successful Americans today. Because careerism says, what are the slots that exist, right? Like what are the jobs being advertised on LinkedIn? 
And how can I make myself appealing to the people putting people into those slots? You know what I mean? So I like uh, along those lines, I would say, look, if you are one thirty second Cherokee, you, <laughs> you are a Native American for LinkedIn purposes. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to organize your life along the terms of appealing to authorities who will put you into nice positions. And that's often what our public life is now about, right? I mean, you might discuss reparations. You might discuss lots of things. The the basic calculus of these things is never about inventing anything. It's always about basically what what's on the table and how can I get a slice of that pie? You know that that's that's the calculus. That's life. That's how the it works. Looting phase of civilization, as yeah, we recently right. called it. it right. It's not just the elites, right? It's like it's the not, way we no. all were raised to think. It's it's yeah. completely destructive. It's ugly and evil and wicked. Blah. Yeah, totally. And so what's what's interesting about Musk is that he doesn't he doesn't seem to think that way. So for example, throughout the book, you're gonna have if you if you pick it up, you're gonna have trouble keeping straight what all of his different activities are, even though Isaacson's writing is very fluid and he clearly labels what the activity is, but you'll realize that after a certain point, and I I wanna talk about PayPal, but after PayPal, there are too many different activities because there's too much money available for him to just do one thing. And that is a certain, I mean, that that looks a lot like if you go back to the 19th century and you don't just look at robber barons to whom people like Musk are compared, right? So the guys that built the railroads and made America an industrial powerhouse in all kinds of different ways. But if you just look at the lives of, you might know a famous character from the old West or something, you will find out if you study the biography of Andrew Carnegie or the guys that founded the fur trade, that they do and are several different things throughout the course of their lives. And that that's something that as I, as I was reading the book, I thought, I, I, I don't know that you could write this book about an American born at the same time as Elon Musk. Oh, because would he have been trained to be scrappy or would he have been trained to say yes? You know, because what's interesting is when Musk has a choice, right? So here's like a really good instance. When he graduates from Penn, he's got a choice. He can get into the PhD program in, I want to say it's electrical engineering at Stanford, right? And so, you know, whatever you either launch from there into some pre-existent Silicon Valley thing and or you teach and you're set for life, right? Or he can develop an app that no longer exists, but was going to be, this is like the mid nineties, would have been something like what, what some of us remember as MapQuest. It was called Zip2, as in Zip2, your destination by knowing where things are. This was revolutionary at the time. And he and his his brother, along with some other guys, are basically putting this together and, and he sleeps on the floor of the office in order to work more and and not have to pay rent for a separate apartment and all this kind of stuff, right? So zip two, he picks that over Stanford graduate school. Never went to grad. Who cares? You know, you're too busy making things. It's like, I, I that did exist. Certainly that existed in Silicon Valley at the time, that, that spirit, right? He wasn't totally unique. But as you read his biography, you think, I mean, is there, is there anybody that, that would make that choice now be that you would, you would choose insecurity over security because that's, what's going to make both invention 
and reinvention possible, right? Like I, I can't invent things if I'm like, no, this works, this works fine. You know what I mean? Like horses are taking care of things. Like we don't need cars. <laughs> we don't, you know, we just don't, it doesn't matter. It's fine. Like the horses are working. We've got horses, we've got boats, we've got telegraphs. We don't need telephones and, and, and automobiles. That's okay. You know what I mean? Like if you're just fine with the way that things are, obviously you're not going to invent new things and you're certainly not going to need to reinvent yourself along the way. The idea of being left alone in the eighties, it rings, a, rings a bell with me. I, I remember having like phone calls with a girl named Hillary, who was just a friend. I think we're like, I don't know, eight, seven. And we like, we learn about our phone numbers in Lutheran school and you know, it's memorized and all this. And so the kids start talking to each other, some of them. And so here I am again, we don't even know yet. No one's, no one's ruined our childhoods yet. So we don't even know we're like watching afternoon cartoons. And so I can remember again, being on the phone in the basement, watching cable cartoons for three and a half hours on a regular basis, unattended, unseen, a lot of time alone. It, it was there. And the combination of freedom to do whatever you wanted to do and pursue some level of creativity was there insofar as your household presented that, right? So a lot of my creativity as childhood went into the solving of puzzles called video games. I spent an inordinate amount of times doing that. It developed me in ways that continue to serve me in some ways, uh, harmed my adulthood in a lot of ways. And, and you know, we could go into that. But the, the point is like, yeah, I, it, I think a lot of this just, it does ring true for me as experience. And then to see what what he did that was very different was he clearly pursued reading over screen. That changes the course of one's life quite a bit if you do that in young age. So he did that. And as such, he became an independent thinker as opposed to sort of a streamlined thinker, if I can use that, coin that term maybe. And and as his independent thinking, he, he's got this also urge to, to, to conquer, to gain, which I think any young man's going to have for whatever reason, his course provided the right sheltering for him to have success at that. I think a lot of young men were just told no <laughs> and, and had no choice on certain things. They were in certain boxes. They couldn't go further. But but from there then, his he, his being given such success at a certain point that then now he could go and try a bunch of stuff and see what happened. That's, that's a couple of things. That's every 20 year old's dream. Cause I think a, a lot of young men would, would have a lot of interests and like, I want to try this. I want to try that. I want to try that. But to have been actually well-read and studied by that point, that does set them apart in a, in a tremendous way. And then to, it would appear take all these actions with an intention of building upon building. Like he, he never yeah. intends to succeed. That's not his goal is success like that. That doesn't exist. It's, it's kind of just fun for him. And what, what is fun? It's more, it's more zeal. I think that'd be like a biblical way to talk about this. He has a zeal for good stuff or for the improvement of stuff or for stuff, not getting worse. And, and 
I think that's manly. You know, I'm kind of, I'm kind of compelled by that. And then his success in, in pulling it off, it's like, well, he knows how to fix it, <laughs> at least with that. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, how could he keep going forward as he is? Wag the dog, I suppose. Matrix, yay. Go for it. I, I think that you have to notice over and over and over again in his biography is that he faces setbacks that other people, I mean, I just map this onto our own vocational group is that if you were run out of two congregations and then three more failed, you'd, you'd probably be delivering parts for AutoZone now. You wouldn't, yeah. Yeah. you wouldn't be like, okay, I'm going to start another church. <laughs> you know, oh, like, let's just say, let's just say two years in, you need a call. Like that's, <laughs> that you're kind of done, right? It's over. Yeah. yeah. You know? <laughs> And what what's happening there is that he doesn't he doesn't really take no for an answer in the sense of just shutting down on his drive to do things that he thinks need to be done. So the the best example of this is that the first incarnation of X.com was his it was really a payment processor, which is how it got swallowed up into a merger with PayPal. And then PayPal went public, and that's what made him wealthy enough to invest and to play the way he does now. But what happened at PayPal was that he was forced out in a way that was very backhanded, the way it is when you're forced out of anything. And they were worried that he was going to just you know lose his mind or something. And there's, there's this weird calm that happens whenever he is forced out of things, which he has been forced out of other things, off boards, out of making practical day-to-day decisions. But at that point, this calm seems to come over him, you know, who is sort of a manic person and can be explosively angry. And he'll be like, okay, you know, whatever, like I'm moving on. <laughs> so... That's all enabled by something that that I wish our our vocation had more of, which is the sense that the work is more important than your personal circumstances at any given time. And his personal circumstances have varied widely, and the let's say the the destruction wrought, particularly in his family life, by the way that he is and the amount that he works, is something that as you read the book or find out more about him, you know, is, is certainly cause for pondering, right? How much should be sacrificed to which, which calling, but the question of, okay, I've been, I've been pushed down and I've been pushed out. What will I do now? And his answer is consistently that he will just go back to an original vision of what he wants to be achieved. And because that has so many different facets, all of which I suppose you could connect to sci-fi if you wanted to. Because that has so many different facets, he's always going to have something else he can push into. He's not limited to one avenue of activity that when rejected, just shuts down everything else. And I think that does have to do with the mindset that we talked about a little bit earlier, that my life is not determined by the approval of people who are currently in a position of power over me. And therefore, the aim of my life is not to please them and then to get into the position that they're in so that I can then have other people please me. 
So it's, it's not really fundamentally a vision of what you're doing in your life, especially your work that's shaped by the position that you have, but it's, it's rather shaped by the, by the work that you do. And early on after he has money to play with, you'll find that as he begins to get in touch with the guys that will eventually form Tesla motors or what will become SpaceX that he is there, you know, turning wrenches with them. He builds things. He has a common habit of setting absolutely impossible deadlines. And then <laughs> I think most often, and this has recently been seen with the cyber truck breaking them, but you know, it creates buzz. That's the show that there's a showmanship there, but sometimes those deadlines are met. And the, when they are, it's generally because he is there, you know, working all night to meet that deadline. And there is something about that, that people find inspiring, right? This happens with SpaceX, where the first three times they try to get a satellite into space, it fails catastrophically. I mean, just atrocious, like, can't believe you did it this badly, atrocious. And of course, investors are wary. This is all 2008, which is like the the dark year of his life, the darkest anyway. And they're on their fourth build up to a launch. And everybody's like, you know, we're, you know, this is, this is probably not going to work. We're all going to lose our jobs. Elon's going to lose all his money because he's so heavily, he's got so much staked on this thing that is completely unproven. And they have this meeting and Musk is like, well, we're just going to do this. Like, this is just going to happen. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have another option. <laughs> and that, that spirit, you know, looks sort of nuts to people from the outside. And it certainly looks insane to people who have never risked anything, who have built their whole life around risk avoidance. But if you're taking a risk with somebody else and he's like, we're just going to do it, then that can be very, very powerful, right? Yes. There is something tremendously compelling about his fearlessness and or the appearance of it, right? You've read the book. I'm talking about a character on the screen. Yeah. <laughs> but as a showman, yeah, he shows his fearlessness in a way that raised as I was, first fruits of the millennialists. You know, they're at the end of Gen X 78. Yeah. If you want to vintage me? I can smell the fakes. Like, like I know what the can smells like. And I'm I'm not surprised by the fiery, you know, uh, burning flames around the car when you wipe away the green screen. Oh my, I didn't know that was there. No, no, I you know I've been around this block. And and yet he continues to be consistent in his projection of a fearlessness that I find inspiring because it's like, well, I just don't know how you fake that. And it is never say die. It is like literally bet it all on X. And there's got to be in his history then some symbolic tie. X and Y being mathematical equations too, I think solve for X is a big part of his pun Yeah, in, in this. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it's all compelling to me, right? So, so yeah. It, it isn't compelling. It is inspirational. As a man named Elon, who's, that's a biblical name, right? Again, so if we can push in that direction just a little bit here, 
you know, what intentions really does he have? Uh, his ties to greater world powers and 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 whatnot, or is he just a big kid, you know, playing with his his playground? He it, it's really more the latter than the former, in the sense that both in the things that he's pursuing and in his ability to articulate some deeper meaning behind them, it's it's not terribly thoughtfully worked out because he has devoted his life. The solve for X idea is connected to his first principles idea, which I, <laughs> it's very interesting because so much of Silicon Valley is so upset with him. Now you'll get in, you know, you know, this week in tech type media, people just making fun of the idea of thinking about first principles and returning to basics and asking if you actually need to do something that way and, and so on. But the solve for X is that if I can describe it this way, he's a, he's a very visionary man in the way that science fiction is visionary about possibilities and about technological pursuit and about terraforming other planets the way that we have terraformed much of Earth. It's very limited in its what I would describe as its peripheral vision and its capacity to look around. Why would you do that? Is that really going to happen? And so... Elon is raised in something sort of, I mean, some form of Anglican Christianity, right? Which is your, your starter model, ancestral religion for somebody of, of immediately English descent, right? And he, I believe he's, you know, he's baptized. I believe he's confirmed, but that never really catches his, that, that never, never really sets him alight. And that, do that doesn't particularly surprise me. It's not a terribly demanding form of Christianity generally. So he didn't develop any anything more than a sort of blasé atheism or maybe even agnosticism. It just doesn't really matter because the things that fire him involve technological pursuits. This is why I don't think, I mean, it. if it's a show, it doesn't need to be. Because it's such a, a standard thing for a kid of some intelligence with some mathematical and technical ability to say, well, I don't believe in God because it simply doesn't matter for the limited realm in which he's operating, not limited in how wealthy he could become or limited in what could be achieved. Technically, it's sky's the limit in both those regards, but it's very limited in a sense of what is this for or is that how, how does this relate to humanity? And the answers to those things that he will generally give are, are, are very cartoonishly sci-fi answers. Well, you know, if earth collapses, we need to be able to go to Mars or, <laughs> or, you know, his very, as early as the mid nineties, his just very firm conviction that, that fossil fuels are limited and destructive. And therefore we need to find another solution, thus electric cars. Right. So the, when, when you're looking for a, you know, a more panoramic view of what's going on or why it's happening or, or what should be happening, you're not really going to find it here. And in that way, he is very similar to lots of people who achieve great success, which is they are hyper-focused and sometimes, especially for leading other human beings, that's extremely limited, right? So in, in leading people and in inspiring people, 
he's only going to lead and inspire people who can become as focused as he is on the things on which he's focused. He's the thing gonna, that I think, yeah. the thing I, I envy most about what his life has to be, has to be, is that he has to be surrounded by people who think he has a good idea because it's a good idea. So they agree. Yeah. They right. share the good idea. And then he's like, well, I'll pay you to go do it. And they're like, all right. And like, he just gets to do that. <laughs> you know, like what a, what a neat thing. If you're thinking kind of, you know, God mode of the video game and all this, of course, that's the way a child ish person from the eighties would think of it initially. The, the power of command, make it so, uh, is, is really the, the greatest thing when, uh, the scriptures are so clear that the glory of sacrifice has something far superior for the soul, even, even today. Right. Um, but can I pull back to then his, his, they said Asperger's, will I yeah. trigger anyone if I just yeah. call it spectrum disorder focus on things he read a long time ago and decided are true forever? That's fascinating. I could totally see that. And the blind spot then being while he's visionary in, oh, we need this answer now. Hey guys, let's do it. I got the money. Yeah. He, he can do that. The perspective and the horizon of this is the answer is as limited as any dumb and dumber guy is going to be if all he ever reads is iRobot, right? And that's that's just, you know, and, and his God is the screen who is his own face now, right? Like he is to his own face, like an incarnate God. Like when he sees his own face, like who has stood against him and conquered, right? So he's got all that going on as a pagan. He just has to, especially if he's agnostic. He doesn't even know what he's doing, right? He's just kind of floating a little bit. Um, and I think you might be right on that because his atheism and his even Satanism all seems to be kind of just like it's Halloween, man. I'm having a good time. And he's a pagan doing that. Like Christians are like, that's gross. Okay, I agree. I agree. It's gross. But like, like I don't expect much of the snake. And I don't mean to, you know, bemoan his or, or you know, slander his integrity by that. I only mean that the venom of asps is on their lips. And you have no choice but to believe that if you're a Bible believing Christian, right? Right. You know, so so I I find this all amazing, Adam, and, and this guy has been pegged to my wall as someone I pray for. You know, when the Bible says you will speak before kings, I think, well, Jesus, if I get a chance, Elon be fun, and and so uh, I I love where this has gone and where we are in the conversation. Some of the other pieces that I think might be interesting for yeah. people for you to touch on is kind of go through the list of his inventions and maybe some positive negative nets from them, both uh, natural law wise to society and then impact on the churches. I, I think you could do that. As far as natural law goes, this involves this process, decision making process that has been used particularly for the the space work and and less so for tesla motors but is also involved in what he is doing with twitter and what he did earlier with zip2 and paypal and that process is described by isaacson but it simply involves asking every possible question necessary to ask if it could be done better or differently and particularly with engineering, if it could be done more cheaply and more quickly. And that is really the thing that I think is most distinctive about him. He does own some patents, 
And there are things that he tried to patent that didn't really work, right? So if <laughs> if the technology behind Zip2 had been patented successfully in 1997, then he would have been even wealthier, even earlier. But some of that is still going on with SpaceX's launch of the Starlink satellites, where he's trying to make it easier to navigate and to be in touch. So when you're thinking about his inventions, you want to think about the application of that process to each of the realms in which he has set himself to achieve something. So for example, with space, it's, it's very interesting is that government contracting generally regarding space works in the sense that, and this is very much the security security focused mindset that the company Lockheed Martin, whatever is going to be paid a certain amount and will be paid for cost overruns and therefore time doesn't matter. And so things generally just don't get done. And when they do get done, they're generally over time and, and over budget. And that's just the way things work because a process that was implemented first in World War II to guarantee to companies that were, if you think about it in World War II, they were usually reinventing themselves, right? We were building cars. Now we're going to build tanks. We were building this. Now we're going to build airplanes, whatever, that they wouldn't lose tons of money in order to contribute to the war effort in World War II. That same very security focused, you're not going to, you're not going to risk much. You're not going to lose anything idea dominated everything. And Musk said, why don't I just bid to the government when SpaceX is getting going in the early 2000s? Why don't I just tell them what is always told people in the private sector, which is you won't pay me until you get what we contracted for. <laughs> and I will tell you that I will get it to you by this time. Now, maybe that doesn't sound weird, but in terms of space and space exploration, it was very strange. Well, to the Pentagon, that would change a few things, I think. Just to yeah, right. And so he said, I mean, he he said, we're going to lose the ability to go to space because we're not actually focused on getting there. We're focused on getting paid. And it, it's really pretty hard to deny Wait, that. Did, did we mention the looting phase of civilization in this yeah, episode? Right. Yeah, right. Did that come up already? I feel like it did. Yeah. Right. And what's interesting here is that that looting phase was present in the 1980s, the 1990s, like long before people were like, what if we don't know how to build things anymore? Like that's, you know, now we've been having those think pieces for the last decade. Long before that, it was happening. And Musk yeah. was like, I don't think we're going to know how to do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Sometime around the 80s and 90s, I would suggest internet being part of this, probably that the market became about buying a company to loot it. Like that, that's sort of what the market is. Is someone builds a big company, gets some good stuff, then they sell it, right? They sell out, and then someone else buys it, and they don't really care about quality. They just put their brand on it, and then it goes and they loot it for all it's worth. Right. No more investment. Right. And so that that is market has brought us to a point where, in fact, I am a right with, with Musk. He's like, we're going to lose the ability to, I don't know, change our oil. You know? Yeah, you, you, right. But, but what's the thing we're going to lose? There's a lot that's already been lost in all of this. And I love that he has enough imagination <laughs> to foresee a dystopia where humans are still here and it sucks. You know? I mean, it sucks now, but I mean, golly, I like hygiene. Don't you? Yeah. No? And so like, like uh, he can foresee that because of yeah. his sci-fi fears, 
And, and, and again, that inspires me because I'm fighting for the same thing for my neighborhood. I'm just doing it differently than he's doing it entirely. I'm doing it as a Christian. I'm doing it as a believer, as a member of the kingdom, right? But I have every potential because of my sci-fi movie and plus childhood for imagining everything he's afraid of and, uh, and foreseeing it wherein we're here and it does suck, but we're still Christians. So we got this. I, and again, that's where he inspires me. Yeah, that's where he inspires and, me. and you you asked how this relates to churches, and I, I would say that sometimes it's helpful to set the churches alongside other things that resemble them for tax purposes. So his working with, but sort of being grumpy about, but perhaps I I don't know enough about X dot com now to understand what exactly happened with this, but the regulation of free speech by the Anti-Defamation League, that whole fight, right? And fight directly with Musk, right? The issue there and, and what happens on that platform concerns something that I think churches often don't, they don't think as creatively as the ADL. And so they shouldn't be surprised if free speech is suppressed in favor of the ADL because the church is not operating with the same confidence when it tries to exert pressure on kings. We're sort of apologizing for our existence or wondering if we're supposed to do everything that they want us to do. And, and the ADL is not, does not feel hampered in that way and, and is just bringing pressure to bear on Musk. This is not really for him a new thing. So when you read the book, you you figure out that the way that he tries to handle ideological opponents is by working with them to a certain extent while also ignoring them to a certain extent. And whether that's possible, that's totally up for debate. But I think it's important for churches both to, in some ways, imitate the boldness of the ADL. So if you <laughs> if you think something is wrong or something needs to stop or something, you shouldn't be apologetic about it. But number two, to realize that kings always have their own priorities, whether they're figurative or literal kings, they always have their own priorities. And some of that they're going to pay attention to and some of what you're saying and some of what you want, they just don't care about and they're not going to pay any attention to and nothing's going to change, right? But they're reciprocating the the, the, revel, uh, the relationship is <laughs> kind of yeah. genius. You yeah, know, I mean, really but, but there's a certain indifference in a figure oh. who is pursuing a greatness that is not a greatness you seek, that you have to be ready for. And I think a lot of people are not because in a security mindset, everyone assumes that you're supposed to be nice all the time and try to be cooperative all the time and, and, and just do what other people ask you to do all the time in whatever realm of life. And it's not that that's always evil or bad or something, but it really generally doesn't get things done. And, and honestly, Everybody around Musk admits that, okay, <laughs> including ex-wives and girlfriends and people who forced him out of companies. They're like, well, yeah, you know, it. if Elon were easier to get along with or didn't work until 3 a.m., you know, everything would probably be nicer, but also nothing would get done. And that's something that I, I think churches, so I, I there's not really a direct relationship here because of the world that he's in and because of his own commitments. But as you read the book, it's it's hard not to see what could be achieved if we were a little bit more like this, or if we 
had a little bit more indifference to the group and a little bit more focus on what the group's supposed to actually be achieving. Because church is very recognizable in the book as an analog not to Musk or hardly anything he does. Although the original X.com and probably what he's trying to do now, we're both supposed to be these really holistic social media platforms. And, you know, so he's basically going back to what he tried like 20 some years earlier in what he's doing now that churches probably should have figured out. Maybe they could do something like that a long time ago too. But our analog really are, are, you know, are usually the opponents that he finds in the companies that he's working with or working through in the people who force him out, because it's, it's all in favor of a general mindset of security and nothing hazarded, you know, nothing lost is the philosophy. That's where I find that us church very recognizable throughout the book. I'm writing down freedom versus security. Yeah. There is something to be learned from him in his pioneering zeal. His belief in himself is something of an ambassador of principle, right? And if every Christian and, and every pastor, especially pastors, could see themselves with such freedom to dismiss the opinions of men when they are not aligned with the greatness to which we have all been called, which doesn't require that we have multi-billion dollar international fame or, or any such thing, but rather that we have confidence as we pressure the kings, queens, enemies, friends of our lives with the, the comfort of Christ, the comfort of knowing our God is with us, not against us. I'm not talking schmaltz. I'm not talking Jesus in my heart, little little sweet song. I am talking the word of God upon my tongue. I'm talking the spirit within reminding me in the face of the nations that stand against us all uh, that in the name of Jesus, they're already cut off. They're like a drop in the bucket. They're, they're accounted as sand in the shore. And what matters far more today is that as you lift up your head from listening to us, uh, or maybe you're already looking around right now, that that head, that chin be just a little higher in its confidence of where you're going. Right? Elon doesn't know where he's going. He has a lot of hope in a rock next to a pale blue dot, right? Or as a, a pale blue dot in the sky. That's his hope. He has a lot of hope in a computer. You know, some some wizardry and some magi work that's made it possible to do all sorts of super cool stuff, baby. Right? He's got hope in that. What do you have? You got you are the kingdom. We are the kingdom. We are not just the ambassadors. It's already here. The end has begun. Uh, we're alive. And so again, with that as your first principle, and acknowledging that our capacity to fail is that there is now no condemnation for we are in Christ. Again, uh, well, we here at A Brief History Power pray that you go out and you're inspired uh, not only by Elon and his greatness, but against him and his greatness. And according to the word of your Lord, Jesus Christ, you're listening to A Brief History Power, you know where to find us. You wouldn't be here. The Hebron Collegium is a gap year Bible school for men in Rockford, Illinois. Semi-monastic boot camp for Christian living. Cowards and slackers need not apply. 
HebronCollegian.com. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable, a college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran, a college that won't take a dime of federal funding, a college that teaches the best of our Western heritage, a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. At 7,123 feet, you can find mountains soaring above you and rivers running swiftly in the valley below you, natural beauty of every kind. But our God is richer in his gifts than this. At 7,123 feet in Pagosa Springs, Colorado, you can also find God's word preached purely and his sacraments given out for your salvation at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School. Located off US 160, just west of downtown Pagosa, Our Savior offers your children a wonderful place to learn of Christ and his wisdom week in and week out and offers you the medicine of immortality Sunday in and Sunday out. Our Savior Lutheran School provides a Christ-focused classical education that enriches the child's soul with the best that has been thought and said to the glory of God. Whether you visit while vacationing or hunting in the beauty of the area, or whether you would like to join a group of faithful Lutheran Christians, our Savior Pagosa Springs has what you're looking for. Divine service with Holy Communion is each Sunday at 9 a.m., and Bible class follows at 10.30. At more than a mile high, you will find Christ in all his glory in the midst of his people at Our Savior Lutheran Church and School, a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. Find out more at oslcpagosa.org. North Idaho is home to beautiful mountains and scenic lakes, small-town tranquility, civil freedom, and the faithful Lutheran parish of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, located in Hayden, Idaho, near Coeur d'Alene. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church is a proud sponsor of A Brief History of Power. If you like what you hear on Brief History, then you will love Blessed Sacrament where the Lord's word is faithfully preached and Christ's body and blood are administered at every divine service. Whether you are visiting Idaho or considering moving to Idaho, wouldn't it be nice? Please join the saints of Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church for the Mass and Augsburg Academy Bible Study. Directions, service times, and much more information about this confessional liturgical parish may be found at blessedsacramentlutheranchurch.com. Blessed Sacrament Lutheran Church, Historic Christian Orthodoxy, the Evangelical Lutheran Faith in the Beautiful Inland Northwest.